Welcome to Spin It. We're here uncovering the true stories behind every guest's successes and failures. This podcast is real and raw. We're stripping away the fluff and the perfectly manicured bios to get a glimpse into what it takes to be truly successful. What is your measurement of success? I'm your host, Stephanie Malik. I'm a global business consultant, coach, and crisis expert. So to say I have heard it all before is an understatement. I've seen people flip their world upside down with the slightest error in judgment, only to spin it into their most crucial and defining moment of success. On Spin It Podcast, I'm chatting with high achieving executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs to understand how they have turned their failures into fuel to help them grow themselves and their businesses. I want my guests inspiring stories of truth and authenticity to engage and impact you. We're here giving you real stories behind the headlines and to give you a glimpse of the messy reality that is success. Whether it's a hidden addiction, business scandal, an abusive family, a debilitating illness, or simply just navigating life's hardest days, we want you to learn from our mistakes. Life is all in how you spin it. Today, we're talking with marketing expert, Chris Dennert, the CEO of Dugout Mugs. Chris knew his business partner, Randall Thompson, had created something special when he made beer mugs out of baseball bats. Yes, you heard me correctly. Baseball bats. So after years of owning his own media group, Chris joined Randall and they created the company Dugout Mugs. The mugs they create are now showcased by some of the most prestigious people, players, and organizations in the baseball industry. Today, Chris talks about the challenges he faced early on with the company. He shares how his love for the job has impacted his life for the better. He talks about the value of respecting people's time, which can really make or break your business. Without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to go through this with you. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk about what it was like growing up in your household. Talk to me about your parents and your siblings. So when I was growing up, I actually have three brothers now. Two of them are significantly younger, one from my mom, one from my dad. But I had a brother, Jason, who's a year older than I was. And my household was a little different. Like we didn't have a ton. My mom was a, a hustler. My dad, we, they, you know, a, a divorced family when I was three or four, maybe. But both were hustlers in their own right. You know, my dad was a car salesman, but but quickly, you know, finance management and things like that did very well in the car industry. And to be around such a hustler, communication and sales and rapport and things like that were just kind of ingrained in me. And I got a lot of that from my dad. My mom was a female entrepreneur before it was cool. So like 35 years ago, she started, she's a solopreneur 35 years ago as a woman. Imagine that, right? And That's amazing. Uh, yeah, tough time, right? When, right, you know, for women, sure. Yeah, you shut up and you sit over there kind of thing. And she's like, nah, that's not going to work for me. And uh, she started a ceiling fan and lighting store in Winter Haven, Florida called All About Fans. So she still owns it to this day. Doesn't play overly well with others. So she's kind of been like the sole employee for 35 years, which God bless her. I mean, that, what a burnout that would be. But so that's a lot of grit came from her. And then my, my stepfather um, was like the town barber. Uh, so I got to learn about network is net worth. He never made a ton of money, but he could do anything he wanted because he knew everybody who had all the money. So that concept of your network being your net worth stuck with me. And I always decided that that creating genuine relationships was going to be a core competency of mine. And, and it 
friendships really go further than anything, right? So I, I pulled from a lot of these things, you know? So I, I, I think that's amazing because, you know, you people say business isn't personal. And I always say business is so personal. I want to be able to have people around myself and my family and my friends. I want to be able to do really strong, good business that you're not running away from. You know, I want to write a good deal that everybody's happy with. You may not be happy at the same time. I'm happy, but we're both going to eventually be happy and it's going to grow the relationship. So I think that's really important that you brought that up. What was your very first job? Well, I've been fired from every job I had, uh, which is probably not, you know, atypical for the, you know, a lot of folks listening. But um, I think the first job I had, I was maybe selling hot dogs at a theme park or something ridiculous. But now, if I look back, what was my first hustle? It's a lot different, right? I didn't realize I was such an entrepreneur hustler until, you know, 20 years later, and they're like, hey, have you always been like this? I'm like, oh, damn, I guess I have. So I would have my mom take me up to, uh, well, first I would, she had a fan store. So she would bring home these fans and I would get out there with tools and unscrew them and take all the copper and take the copper and go get cash for it. And then I would take that cash and I would flip it into pencils and candy and toothpicks and just dumb stuff that everybody at school would buy. And I would go to Sam's Club or BJ's or whatever. And I would buy it for 10 bucks. And then I'd come home every day, three to five dollars. I mean, I'm talking like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And my mom's like, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I'm just, you know, making money, mom. We don't have money other places. I can't just come to you. You, I don't have it. So, um, yeah, like I, I look back, I hustled. I, pro- I made hundreds of dollars as a little, little kid hustling and flipping and selling, you know, so I have to say that's technically my first job, but the first one I got fired from, I was selling hot dogs and probably bored and eating one, honestly, and got fired from that job and every one since until I really came into my own around uh, 21 or 22. That's fabulous. So when you were selling at school and you were hustling at school, were you selling those like hot picks things? Those little hot toothpicks? Oh, I'll do you one better. I made them. So I would go get the box of a thousand toothpicks and I would throw it in a pot of water and then I would throw peppermint or cinnamon or whatever and I would boil it and then I would lay them all out on paper towels and I would dry them and then I would spin them up in a a twist tie. I remember it like vividly, right? And I would sell 10 for a dollar. So I'm selling toothpicks for 10 cents a piece. I'm like 10Xing my money. I mean, that's, so that's what I was just going to say. So, so not only entrepreneur, because entrepreneur is buying it, selling it, you know, that's the Gary Vee strategy, barter, um, trade, all these different things. You're going a step further and you're actually making it. So third grade, eight years old. Okay. And you're like, oh yeah, you know what? I want to make 10 times my margin opposed to double it. The reason why I say it and the reason why it's so funny for me is there was a guy in, in sixth grade in middle school and he would go get the 10 cent hot picks, the packs, and then he would sell them for a dollar. So he did this all the time. So when you said that, that totally reminded me of that side hustle. He made so much money in middle school doing that. There's Here's one that you'll really get a kick out of. I mean, I feel like we're probably close to the same age. There was a game everybody played was with pencil breaks where you break the other person's yeah, pencil. absolutely. Yep. All right. So I, I would create these super pencils and I would sell them for like five and 10 bucks a piece where I would bore out the middle of it with like a long skinny drill bit from my mom's store. And then I would, I would take a, a, a clothes hanger and I would feed it down in there. So it's a metal core in a pencil. So it's unbreakable. And then I would cut it off at the end with some snippers and sand it down. And I'd sell these super pencils for like 10 bucks. It was crazy. Well, I mean, whatever, you, you don't have money and you want things like you got to figure out a way to do it. 
So yeah, so that was my other point. So we were we have four kids, eleven years old to twenty six, and Nikes and you know the the jumpsuits and all the different things we had to pay for that on our own. We had to go buy those because it wasn't just a give me. And our kids can't believe the things like the mowing the lawns and the raking the leaves and the going around and selling cookies and lemonade stands and all these different things. They couldn't believe that we did that for shoes. They were just like, wait, your parents didn't buy them for you. So I love that you brought that up. So, okay. So you have this long history of getting fired from jobs because you do seem like a nightmare employee. Um, oh, it's the worst. <laughs> well, actually, I saw a better, clearer vision of what they wanted to accomplish and they weren't open to the idea of me telling them a better way to do things. Right. Because really you know why? Because you know why? Because they've always done things like this. Yeah. Yeah. How many times did you get that answer when you were growing up professionally? Yeah. Um, this is just the way it's done. I'm like, yeah, why? Right. I don't right. know. It's just the way it's done. I'm like, but why? Right. And uh, yeah, I think asking the right questions always is going to have a better result. But a lot of people just aren't prepared, especially for somebody significantly younger than they were. My first real management job was at Gold's Gym and I had like 40 employees and I was 21. I was like the youngest manager in the state. And I mean, I was running the show in a lot of ways. And all these people are in their 30s and 40s. Like, what the hell is this kid talking about? Right. Right. And I think that, you know, it's funny because as we're, as we're going through and we're interviewing all these founders and, and these CEOs and, and these, you know, these entrepreneurs, there's a, there's very much a same theme, Chris. So it's kind of like, I started young. The next person was like 10 years, my senior didn't want to take advice from me, but I, I mean, in their own mind, even though they maybe didn't know it at 21 or 22, they were creating strategies. They were creating like sales plans, even though it wasn't necessarily called that they were like, no, this is how we're going to sell memberships, or this is what we're going to do to get people in the door. And a lot of times for brick and mortar businesses and even, even into tech, people are not ready to hear that. They're just not, period. So now you're the CEO of Dugout Mugs with your partner, Randall Thompson. What made Dugout Mugs and Randall what it is right now? Well, I think um, Dugout Mugs, so what they are actually, it's a barrel of a baseball bat that we hollow out and we turn into a pretty awesome mug. Um, and and I, I think what made... It's stages, just like anything, it's stages. I think the idea came to fruition because Randall had to find a way to stay closer to the game again. He was a baseball player and he just, you know, the, the truth of the matter is he just wasn't good enough to go all the way. And at that point, you spend years and years trying to be something and do something and that becomes uh, who you are in a lot of ways. So when he gets ripped away, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's time to rebuild. It's time to, you know, reevaluate and, and decide who you really are. And he's like, you know, he's an incredible human. And I'm so blessed to be a business partner of his. And, you know, that part of it was coming up with this idea and staying close to the game and, and having a little bit of grit, well, a lot of grit and, and taking this thing there. But then when, you know, I, I think also being wise enough to know that he didn't have many of the tools it was going to take to take this thing to the next level. And I had a lot of experience, right? You know, I was, hell, I'm coming up on half my life. I've been an entrepreneur now. And Randall looked at that and he's like, hey, man, what do you think? And I said, listen, I'm a gritty, gnarly, tough as nails, hardworking dude. You want to be that with me? I'll stop what I'm doing. I'll get rid of some of these ventures I have. But you got to quit your job. He had a good job at the time. And I said, you got to quit your job. And if we're going in, we're going in. And he agreed. He put in his two weeks. I got rid of the restaurant. We had a couple of things. So I like, cleared up and that was it. And, uh, you know, I think what made Dugout Mugs what it is now is – I, I say it all the time, is just being unapologetically authentic. We're very authentic. We're very genuine. There's too much BS in the world and, you know, smoke and mirrors and shit. So I think our authenticity is by far one of the things that's helped us succeed. Um, and I think our, our just, um, we're just tough. 
Like, we're not going to quit. COVID hit. It's like, man, that's bad. All right, what are we going to do? Right? When, quitting has never even been like in the realm of possibility. We pivot. We don't quit. We change. Right. You know, no plan B. Yeah, it's, and again, it's taken, we've got 20 million. I think we're going to hit this year. It's crazy. So what are some of the challenges that you guys both faced at the very beginning or, or just earlier within the company? What are some of the challenges that you could share with our listeners? Well, I think um, Randall's challenge was vision because he hadn't been there before. This is his first venture, actually, you know, first business and thing that we were, I mean, we've been doing this for five years together now. So it's been a little bit of a stretch. So I think originally is, you know, wrapping his head around the, the scalability of something like this, where I've, I, whereas I've had a couple other companies that have reached the, you know, eight figure mark. And um, so I can see it much more clearly, I had confidence in our ability to get there quickly. I think both of us had a struggle at first because, you know, like, like many, I feel like I know the right way to do things all the time. The older I get, the, the less of a warrior I am and the more of a statesman I become. And, you know, uh, as Russ Whitney would say, and, and I feel like, identifying my strengths, but more importantly, identifying my weaknesses has been one of the most transformational things. And it's been over the last probably seven years I've been doing that. So it was perfect timing with dugout mugs, identifying what I'm absolutely best at. And I don't do anything else. I literally do what I'm best at. And sometimes I don't do anything for a few days and that's okay. You know, so that's been really, that was a struggle at the beginning because I was trying to do it all. And then, I mean, now, hell, I think we got like 70 people in the organization. So Chris, let's pause there really quick. So that really resonated with me because again, when you start a company, you're all things. You do everything, you jump in, you learn, you ask advice, you've built great relationships. You're constantly pinging people and going, what about this? What about this? What about this? But then you get to a point where you said the most important thing is truly identifying your weaknesses and not doing that anymore. How do you vet that out? So when you're starting and you get there and you're actually starting to make money now and you're starting to develop a team, like you said, you guys are at 70, you guys are going to hit 20 million. How do you vet those things out to where you're like, yeah, that's a weakness. I don't want to do it anymore. What happens there? Well, I think it's a lot of self-reflection. I don't think people reflect enough, right? I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And and it's like you look at the things that are taking up the time of your day. Usually the things you're not good at are taking up the most time because you're not doing them very efficiently. So I think taking the time to reflect versus being, don't be so busy being busy, right? You got to take time to stop and reflect and say, was that a good use of my time? Was that a good use of my talent? And if the answer is no, well, who could do it better? And how would we measure that? What are those KPIs? You know, I have a, I have a set, you know, I have little KPI sets for every little thing that we're doing personally, professionally, everything. But in this case, like, let's say it was, it was a marketing or an email, you know, an email provider or an email management company or, or agency. Okay. So, you know, what are the questions we're going to ask? Again, back to better questions. You got to ask better questions on the front. You got to know what your KPIs are and you got to measure by one or two. Now we can dial in the details and iron some stuff out after the fact, but you know, really understand what those KPIs are. And then from a, how do you outsource it? I mean, fail fast, fall forward, you know, have very clear expectations. It's like, listen, uh, and I do this with, you know, I'm a, I'm a negotiator. I'm a sales guy. I love it. Right. So they want to come on over 10,000 and say, listen, you might be worth 10,000, but you're not right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three months at 5,000. And if these KPIs, I'm only measuring these two things. If you hit these numbers on these two things, we know there's a really good chance that it's going to work out long-term. And then we'll flip to a one-year contract at the 10K. So put your money where your mouth is. I do, right? And, and then you can, and then if they don't say, listen, high five, you didn't do what you say you're going to do, get better. See ya. Right. 
And I, I think that that's, that's so important, Chris, because there's so many people that are so afraid to say that. Here's the thing with me, for me and being a founder and, and doing this so many different times, I don't ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't already have done or that I haven't already done, that I understand. Now, I may not be good at it. They may be better at it than I am, but at least I actually have that awareness and I know what it is. So I'll step up, I'll do the contract, I'll do these things. You should be able to do that too because that's what you've kind of, you've led with that. And I think that's really important, especially right now for the younger entrepreneurs or the people that are just kind of coming up and maybe finding their first company. I think that it's really important that they actually understand that these metrics, these measurements of success are one or two. Like you said, they're not five, six, seven, because then they're just You're supposed to suck at most things. Exactly. That's what makes you a badass. You're supposed to suck at most things. Absolutely. So what is Randall suck at? I'm 285 pounds. I'm not running, jumping hurdles. (laughs) I don't even get off the ground, right? Like you got to know what you're good at. Right. Absolutely. What does Randall suck at? Promotion. Okay. And, and he would agree with me. Sorry. So I, I, and again, I don't ever say things behind somebody's back. I don't want to say their face. And we laugh about it. And it's promotion. He's very humble, which I love. I'm, act, I'm a humble guy too, but I, I'm, I love promo. Like I'm super proud. He's not, not proud of our company, um, but he goes to a baseball game. He won't wear a dugout hat. Like he just won't do it. Or um, when he gets on the news, he's really not monotone, but he's just He's just a uh, just a cool, even keel guy. One of my favorite things about him. But when it comes to promotion, like I tell him, dude, just let me handle it. <laughs> You're like, I got you. Yeah, let okay. me handle it, man. I'm, I'm a hype guy. I'm a promo guy. What do you suck at? Uh, details and systems. Uh, I'm not very good at details and systems. So I have a saying I love. Feel free to anybody adopt it, right? But it's give direction, not directions, right? And And what I mean by that is you don't, you've heard this a million different ways. You don't hire good people to tell them what to do, right? You hire good people, they tell you what to do. Ultimately, I want to be the Picasso. I want to, I want people to see so vividly on the wall where we're going, why we're going there, what that means, what that means about us, them, uh, our mission, why we are, who we are. And do we all see it? Do everybody see it? Okay. And then I just fade back into the, into the shadows, give direction And then not directions. Because, I mean, that's micromanagement. Who the hell wants to do that? And and I feel like what happens, and especially with the millennial crowd, uh, which is inevitable, they're coming down the pipe, they got just a a, a slightly, in my opinion, wacky work ethic, but it's still got some super strengths in it, right? And and one of them is that that, um, creativity. So if you get out of the way, you know what? Just because you've done something a certain way doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And in fact, it doesn't even mean it's the only most efficient way to do it either. So if you get out of the way, they might do something really cool. Like, oh, that was pretty damn cool. That worked really well. Can you do that again? Thanks, Bob. Go for it, right? And and I think just the direction is more important than anything. So I work a lot with, with athletes. I work a lot with coaches for both impact and professional coaching as well as um, business consulting and then sadly, you know, some crisis management stuff too and people make error in judgments. What is the one thing that stands out for you about working with a retired athlete? You know, I don't really look at Randall like a retired athlete um, is the probably most fair reply to that. I think... I've worked, I've worked with athletes and I work with military. And now there is, there there are some similarities. And I think one of those is that they're very good with not being, they just get it done, right? It's about mechanics. Business is similar to sports. It's similar. Somebody has done it better, or at least given you some bones 
of, a, of an infrastructure, just go through the mechanics. Just shut up one day at a time. Get better, get better, get better, get better. No complaining, no whining. Everybody's dealing with it. Let's go. Let's, you know, just that, that kind of mentality, I think, is uh, very admirable. And it's something that I've seen most directly with athletes and military. I agree. I completely agree. What is something that you guys do really well together? Dream. I'm wild. I'm so wildly outside the box when it comes to marketing and ideas and concept. I mean, Jesus, he, he thought, hey, let me hollow out a baseball bat and drink from it, right? So we never want to stifle that creativity. So we create and we dream and, and we get really wild in that regard together. Um, we actually have a saying in the company, if it's not a hell no, it's a hell yes. And, and so he comes with some dumb idea and he's like, dude, I want to do it. I'm like, hell no, man. But if it's not, which it rarely ever is a hell no, I'm like, oh, we'll give it a go. And Hey, sometimes it's turned into millions of dollars and other times it turns into just 40 hours lost, but it never stops us from creating, you know? Right. So Chris, so you, you, we've, we've talked about it. You have, you've had a ton of experiences. I mean, you've been hustling for a very, very long time, very different than an athlete, very different than the rigidity and the practice. And the, like you said, the mechanics, the sheer mechanics. So that's got to lead to differences in running the company, maybe not vision, but in running the company. So how do you guys overcome the differences in, in running the company today? Stay in your lane. I mean, that's a simple answer that enough people don't do, but you need to stay in your lane. And if you don't know what your lane is, well, that's the first problem. And it really goes back to understanding your strengths, but more importantly, understanding your weaknesses. I'm not going to hinder the growth and the, and the efficiency of the company by stepping in and trying to micromanage systems. He loves it. I'm at my house. This is my home office. I want to work from home. I have two little kids. I want to you know, I, I want the freedom of time so that I actually, I don't have a very full schedule at all ever because when the agent calls or when the celebrity calls or when we need to do this or when I need to pop up to Chicago for a weekend, I'm wide open, right? Um, so my lane is big vision, growing the company to sell, you know, valuation, those types of things. He loves being in and out. He loves seeing, this is his baby, right? So he loves being in the gritty, he loves talking to the warehouse managers, the inventory systems and working on like, I don't want to deal with that. And that's okay. He does. He doesn't want to do the promo and the celebrity side of things. And that's what I love. So it's really about finding your lane. But I think that that's so important as well, Chris, because that's true founder and true CEO. I mean, that's, that's true. Founders are like really into it's, it's their baby. It's their, and then, and CEOs are growth, creativity, you know, valuation, you know, how do we get to the next level? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What do we need to adjust where founders are more like, this is my baby. And I really want to take care of the platforms and the systems and kind of the, the nitty gritty things, like you said. Well, and, and I, and I want to, let me, let me pivot on that just a little bit. So one of the things that I've done very well with Randall, like I'm not his coach or anything, but I have, I also own my first business when he was like, couldn't even drive a car. So I do have a little bit more experience than he does. And one of the things that I always talk about is create a system you're not a component of. So if you want to get in the grit and you want to get in the gears, you can, but it's not relying on you to do that, 
right? You can make it go better, but as soon as you step away, like he went on a vacation, I don't know, last month or something with his wife for a week up in Maine or whatever he went, everything just kept humming, right? And if you create systems, you're not a component of, that's just advice that I've always given clients and things like that. Cause I did consulting and stuff, but it's just create systems. You're not a component of, and then you chime in and you get involved in the little, that those micro niches that you're really, really good at and that you can contribute and then get back out of the way. And I think that that's the true vision of scale. I think some people don't really understand scale and they go, I need to scale myself. And the answer is no, you don't need to scale yourself. You need to be not be part of the cog. You can't scale and be in it. So I, I completely agree. Chris, you've had so much experience with so many things from apparel and restaurants and marketing. What is it like to have such an extensive skill set and then really hone it down and narrow it down to such a focused business? Um, it never changed. That's the secret. It, I was in the cannabis space. I had a marketing agency. I had a social media agency. I had all these things. And the truth of the matter is it comes down to people. My core competency is I love people. I'm really good at communicating. And if I believe in what I'm selling, I can sell it. Right. And whether I'm selling it to the end user or I'm selling it to an investor, or I'm selling it to a VC firm, whatever communication, marketing, the company can change. But what I did didn't have to. Right. And, and I think it's just I've really been comfortable in my power zones and I just don't leave them. Right. So the company could come in or I, like when I did the consulting stuff, the companies would come in and I was like, hey, here's exactly what I did here. Here's how that would be applicable there. Now, there are some industry differences and in some things. Of course, and I there's have, tweaks. There's small tweaks. Sure. Sure. There's sure. small tweaks, but the mechanics are the same. Right. And and in so many ways, the mechanics are the same. So it, it really wasn't too difficult for me. I just got too busy being too busy because the truth of the matter is I was in my mind, I was, I couldn't miss. I was too good to miss. Right. And that was the arrogant side. Thank God for the, uh, you know, near death experience that came my way and, and nearly took me out. And, and I came out the other side of that much more clear on that. So the reason I narrowed things down is because that was part of my new plan is, is to spend more time making the most important things, the most important things like my my daughters and my family and my freedom and my travel and things like that. Let's talk about the near-death experience. Talk to our listeners about what happened and maybe some of the the, the lessons or the blessings that came from it. Um, best thing that ever happened to me. I um, had a restaurant at the time and I had a business meeting that was super important, of course, aren't they all? And uh, I had double knee surgery the well, let me rewind six months. So I was, I was in the cannabis space as well at the time. And I was flying to and from Denver every few weeks for meetings and stuff like that. And uh, I had a new daughter at home. I had a brand new baby. Um, she's seven now, or about to be seven. And, you know, I was talking to her on Skypes and things like that. And I thought that was, in my mind, I was doing all this shit I'm doing. It's all for the family. For the, that's a lie. If you're telling yourself that lie, fix it now before it's too late. And I had to double knee surgery. I had to come back a double knee surgery. Like I'm laid up on the couch and I asked my friend, I'm like, dude, can I borrow your Ferrari? I got to get to this meeting and I can drive with the paddle shifters. Right. I didn't have to use my feet. So I just threw my crutches in this Ferrari and I'm buzzing down the road. And, um, I was at the meeting and my stomach started hurting and you know, eventually I realized I had ruptured my appendix. Um, but I had to go to the Stanley cup game the next night. So I was like, well, let me just take an Oxycontin because I had those from the surgery. 
So I took the Oxycontin and then I had more stuff to do the next day. By the time I made it to the hospital, it was a week later. And I, and instead of me dying a few days earlier, my body, some divine intervention, built an abscess around this ball of poison the size of a football in my core. Thank God I'm as big as I am because uh, things could have gotten really, really bad if I would have waited that long any other way. And he's, I got, I laid down on the table. He's like, uh, call who you need to call because there's about a 30% chance you don't get off this bed. So I was like, you know, I got this little girl at home. I've never seen her walk, never seen her talk. My wife can't come see me because she's watching the baby. These deals that were so important are pointless. You know, so I was on the bed laying, like calling, you know, emails. Hey man, this shit ain't going to work. We got to go. I'm not doing deals with anymore. This, I got to cancel this. And I lost money and I lost money. I lost money. And um, it was kind of a reset. And it was, like I said, it was the best thing ever happened to me, honestly, because it allowed me to prioritize things a little bit differently. And and, uh, it's an easy sickness to get this hustle and this chase and you doing it for the right reasons is as much of a BS answer as anything else, right? So really evaluating it. And sometimes it is. I mean, you have to handle some shit to get it to the next level. But a lot of times it's a sickness. And it is. It becomes an addiction. It. It's an yeah. addiction. And especially if you're good, right? And I'm good. And I, so I was addicted to it because it was like my own personal crack. I'm like, oh, I'm so good at this. I just keep doing deals and it's working. And uh, it's not. None of it really matters as much as everything else in your life. So for me, it was a a very humbling time. And since then, now I have another daughter who would have never been here. I have a business, Dugout Mugs. It would have never been here. Maybe I'm Randall would have done something with it, I'm sure. But so many things, like you don't know what's down the road and you might miss it. And, and that was one of the big things for me. It's like, damn, dude, what would you have missed if you kept focusing over here? And that's, and that's why time is one of my main, it's the, the number one priority for me is freedom of time. I'll decide what to do with it, even if it's sit outside and have a beer and smoke a cigar on a Wednesday, whatever I want to do. Don't get so caught up drinking the Kool-Aid because that can bite you. And you don't know how much time you have here. And that's something I'll tell anybody on any level, on any stage I speak on. You don't think, you don't have time and you don't have control. So quit believing that BS. This week's Spinach shout out goes to Jen Davis. Great conversations and insight. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to review. Looking forward to more conversations in the future. Learn how to command every room you walk into with Executive Presence Elevated. Led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how important executive presence and business acumen is to gaining you unshakable confidence, lasting composure, and strong communication skills that will take you to the next level. This exclusive online program is perfect for the mid-level managers looking to fast track their career in just six weeks. I know this program will transform your belief into what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. So Chris, that was the number one thing when, when, when you guys were coming on the show. One of the things our main producer said to me was, you guys have the exact same philosophy on time. It's your most precious commodity. You know, I, I will decide, line it up and like, let's figure it out, but I will decide. And exactly, exactly what you said. I, I literally feel so connected to that and so aligned to that because I'm so good 
at doing the deals. I am so good at saying no. I'm so good at knowing when somebody is not being truthful or not being authentic. I'm so good at knowing that this is not going to make a lot of money and, and breaking it to them to maybe revet. I mean, like, you know, to go through this and, you know, don't spend a ton of time here or whatever, but you get addicted to almost helping people and you get addicted to that success and you, you're, you nailed it. It's like, but I have a family to feed. I have a, I work so much less than my mom worked or I work so much less than so-and-so works. I still am at everything that's really, really important for my kids. Yes, all true, but you're also missing just the regular life, the day-to-day life all of the things that are truly important that your kids or your wife or my husband or our families will really remember. And so I think that's super important for our listeners to hear, especially from somebody who's been so successful and had so many ventures, who's just incredibly authentic, is protect your time. Don't be don't be busy just to be busy. Like look at your calendar and have some downtime. And I think that that's incredibly important. And one of the things that you said is that it was I was so drawn to is, you want to have a life that you never have to take a vacation from. And that's what's so important. So how do our listeners create that passion? What happens for them where it's not work and you don't have to take a vacation away from it? Um, it comes down again to self-reflection. What is important to you? What are your metrics? When I laid there and I was deciding uh, I'm changing some things, it was bring me somebody who deserves my skill set. I want something that's experiential. I want something that's fun. I want to, can I play with my friends? Do I have a, can I lean into my network to make this thing better? Does it bring good into the world that I'm leaving to my kids? And is it profitable? Is it wildly profitable and can it be? And can I walk away from it when I want to? Or am I the face of it, right? And, and for me, these are the metrics for me, this is how I, I judge a deal. This is how I judge a client. And and simply put, if you want to live a life and have a job and a profession that you don't have to take a vacation from, figure out what the hell a vacation looks like to you. My vacation is different than yours. It's just what it is. We're different people. And I think if you're trying to measure your success with somebody else's ruler, man, it's already broke. Like, what are you doing? It's not your measurement of success. Yeah. Like I look at, I, you can take things from other people without taking their path. Gary Vaynerchuk, I love Gary. You know, he's got a dugout mug on his back shelf. He was somebody I connected with years ago, probably eight or nine years ago, back before he was cool, Gary V, all this other. And he said some really great stuff to me. And, but then I also looked at where he was on a hustle scale, call it. And I'm like, nah, that's not me. But he has some really damn good advice, and I'm going to take it. And then you got the—I mean, like just to throw some names that people probably know—you got the Mark Cubans and the 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 Grant Cardones and the Les Browns, and 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 then people that are no name but in your life that are like really getting it. And 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 it was T. Harv Eckert, I think it was on Secrets of the Millionaire Mind years ago when I was working at the gym in the gym business, and I was listening right before I broke out in entrepreneurship, and it's like. Get into the industry, get into the vertical, find out who's doing it at the absolute highest level and look at him like, yeah, no, that's not what I want my future to look like. Well, then get the hell out of that vertical, right? And and I think that comes back to what I was saying about don't measure your success with somebody else's ruler. I, I think the more authentic you can be and the more honest you can be uh, what, to what's important to you, what's important to Randall, he loves being at home. He's a homebody, absolutely loves it. 
loves the nice, the safer investments. I'm throwing money into crypto and I want to go to Italy again, right? Like we're just different people, you know, so we can take things from one another and we can take advice and we can take tips on life and things like that. But I think you really got to dial in what your vacation looks like if you want to live a life that you don't have to take a vacation from, you know? You know, I think that that talking about that, the way that I talk to my clients about it is your own personal operating system. So, you know, there's there's Mac, there's PCs, there's whatever it is. And, and they all pretty much do the same thing. But it's kind of, how do you want to live? What is your own personal, what are your pillars? And so just like you said, you know, Gary Vee, before he got really, really big, hustle, amazing, absolutely awesome. But the way he treated people. So he was empathetic. He was compassionate. He was driven. He was connected. He was really, really good at asking great questions, like you said. Now, do you want to ask 20 great questions throughout the day and and have four or five people? Or do you want to ask 2000 and just be on all social media and be in every single meeting and you know, everything else. You can take the good and you can take the bad. There's examples in your life that you can say, I want to be just like this, or I don't want to be anything like this or somewhere in the middle. The other, the other side of that is success. Like what does success look like? And that's a fight from a fight. Let's just say financial, straight financial. What I consider is highly successful is very different than many people and, and all, and it's okay to be different. So somebody, if, if all that's important to them is I want to take three great vacations a year. I want to spend 20 hours a week working. Dude, that doesn't have to be a $5 million a year company. It can be a $500,000 a year company because time is harder to come by than money. So if you want to take three vacations a year with your family, well, all you need is an extra 200K, maybe 500. I mean, you have to reverse engineer it. But before you can do that, you have to know what that end game looks like. You have to be really clear in your, and so we, again, I go back to, we, we always talk about measurement of success. I'm like, so, but I don't ever ask the question like other coaches or consultants. I'm like, what is your measurement of success? Because it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I think is valuable. It matters what you think is valuable and then measuring that because we care about what we measure. So how do we measure? And like you said, maybe, maybe it's a methodology. Maybe it's a roadmap. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe this is your first time. But at the end of the day, you have to reverse engineer it because you have to know when you've, when it's successful. Yeah. How do you know when you've gotten there? If you don't know where the hell there is. Exactly. And if you measure your results and you're looking at a very, very, very vague measurement, then your results will be just as vague. And then you'll be like, what the hell did I just spend all this time on? Which is Amazing, because I was just going to ask you, how do you measure your success? It's it's almost like a game now. I don't. I want to see how much I don't have to do. <laughs> I love that. You know, uh, I leave uh, tomorrow. I'm going to Nashville for four days, and I got four couples coming with me for my birthday. Right, we're just going to go hang out in Nashville for a few days to do what I want when I want with whom I want. You know, I think is a, a certainly a measure of success. I, I think one of the things is that I want my I'm raising two powerhouse little girls. Uh, I can see it vividly with my oldest, probably because she's my oldest. But I want to constantly, constantly be in a position to teach her how to be a powerful human and just a badass little girl that that has empathy that has teach her how to think, not give her the answer, right? So this is a very different metric than many people, but that's mine. I know that I can leave her 5 million bucks or I can, I can leave her with a $50 million mind. And, and for me, 
I choose the latter every time because uh, a friend of mine, Eric, said wealth is max three generations and it goes away if all you're leaving is the money. So I'm leaving the mentality. So for me, I want to constantly be, and, and then not just with my kids, right? Like I want to, I had a meeting today with my, uh, with some, one of our heads of our team at Dugout. The whole meeting was based on me understanding better ways for me to help him be better, right? And I constantly want to do that. So one of my metrics, am I being successful, is a chunk of my day spent making people better and doing so in a humble way and is a, a big chunk of my day free to do whatever the hell I want to do and is a big chunk of my day only focused on working on bigger, better I, I want fewer, bigger, better, deeper, more profitable conversations, whether it's Budweiser or Miller Lite or Mariana Rivera or you know I, that's what I want to do. So is a chunk of my doing shit I love helping people and then whatever the hell else I want to do with this other time, if I can achieve that fairly regularly, I think I'm doing pretty good. That's my success measurements. So I want to, I want to get really practical. Okay. I want to just like give the audience some things to think about, but that are, they could make specific to their own company. What was the biggest product issue that you guys had at any point in dugout? What's the biggest product issue you had and how did you solve it? So from a manufacturing standpoint? Yeah. How to make enough? Honestly, uh, this has been this is kind of like a unicorn product. Uh, the the biggest thing is how do we make enough of it? And and it's hard. It's actually a lot harder to make than you think. So what we did is we again ask better questions. So in order to continue to scale, because we've grown by triple digits five years in a row, right? So in order to continue that scale we had a couple options. We could figure out how to make more faster, but we would lose the quality, which is, that's a, that's a deal breaker. We're not going to do that. So what we did is we started making shot glasses out of bat handles, or we made wine glasses, or we made coasters, or we made, when COVID hit, we made baseball drinking games, base, wooden baseball board games. And, and so we diversified. So you can either go deeper and deeper and deeper, or you can, if you ask better questions and poll your audience and poll your customers, which we have a few hundred thousand customers. So we got some really great feedback, understanding what they want and then giving that to them because then we don't have to keep stressing out the system on our flagship product. We made ancillary products. Right. So that was how, I mean, we generated an extra $5 million just last year through secondary and tertiary products. Excellent advice though, because that's not even a pivot. That's just pulling your audience and finding out what they want next. That's great. What's the biggest service issue that you guys have had and how did you solve it? Paid traffic, you know, paid traffic at scale always falls off. So I think creativity um, we're very blessed that we're very creative. And a perfect example, the other day, I just flipped videos upside down. Like literally they're running ads of videos that are upside down. You can't even see what the hell's going on. But it's a it's a pattern interrupt, right? It was a way to, and then the, the text said, uh, bet you're wondering why this video is upside down. It's because we do things differently, like drink out of bats, click here for more info, right? So um, I, I think the scaling, especially with Facebook and all the crap that's going on with paid traffic, is such a nightmare. So with that all happening, how we fixed it is we got back to our power zone, which is creativity on paid traffic. That's 
you know, one of the big ones we faced, I think. That's great. I mean, that's excellent. That's a huge topic right now. Everybody's going, do I run ads? Do I not run ads? What kind of ads do I do? And you know, you know this better than anybody. Every damn person out there is a Facebook guru. I can't tell you how many DMs I get it literally. And and you know what? It comes down to stop letting other people make the best decisions for your damn company. It's your company. Because you know what? If it goes wrong, you're blaming them. If it goes right, you're taking the credit. You make the decision. If it's wrong, it's on you. Own it and move on. Absolutely. You can't have the responsibility and not have the control. So you have to own it. For sure. And I I know dugout mugs better than anybody. I know how to promote it. I know what people say about it. I know that the most common word to describe our product is cute. The best email open is yo with an exclamation. I know these things. So stop letting a firm or an agency regurgitate some stuff that they heard on a free webinar. Take responsibility and get creative. Create and and trust your gut. That's what got you here. So, Chris, I have a question for you. So you have no full-time hire budget. You have no budget at all to hire. You you literally are like fully staffed in everything that you have. And you go to Starbucks, okay? And you see a person and you're like, I have to create a position for this person. They are absolutely amazing. They belong at Dugout. What does this person look like? I think people that just see things different. Um, we encourage uniqueness. Um, if you look at our team, if you go to our website, one of our guys is wearing like Mandalorian armor. One's riding his Harley. You know, they had for a while, for like a year, they had like a Dungeons and Dragons night at the, when we closed every Wednesday. You know, we just encourage people to just do be you and, and uh, be authentic right? And be creative and be outspoken. There's plenty of people out here that just shut up and listen to what they're told. I mean, look around, turn on the news. I'm more interested in people who have an opinion and I'm confident in my opinion and I'm confident in my experience that I'll tell them that sucks. What else you got? Right? Because I-, I And, and I, wait, Chris, do you say that? Do you say- Hell yeah, that that's, that's part that, that's, That's part of the amazing. call I had today. And, and my guy, my guy's like, dude, I was offended. And I'm like, I'm, I said, well, in all fairness, I'm not going to change. But you just need to understand where I'm coming from. I literally want nothing but the absolute best for you. And I want you to be the best you can absolutely be. And I was, I meant every ounce of that. And I said, but I'm also, I'm also not, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You know, I'm not from that era, man. Like I'm a, I'm a gritty, I'm made out of leather. So, so that was my question for you. So when they, when these people put this on your calendar, okay, Chris, they're going to put it on your calendar. They want help. They want feedback. They want to get to be the best that they can possibly be. What does that meeting look like? Tell me what that is. You know, it, it was like, tell me what you're feeling, right? Cause, cause usually feelings are derived from something close to what the problem actually is. And, and it's like, tell me what you're feeling, man. Let me, let me know what that looks like. And, and what did I do wrong? And if in an ideal world, and I'll ask him and I asked him today, I said, so I understand you're bringing these problems to me. Did you bring a resolution as well? Basically, if you're going to tell me what's wrong, then you tell me what it looks like to fix it because you already know what that is. I'm not going to sit here and guess. I'm not going to give you my version of that. I love that you're like that because I often get I don't want to say coached on it, but I often get talked to about this, about how poignant I was, or maybe how direct I was, or, or maybe, you know, maybe I, I didn't say it as fluffy as I, as I wanted to, 
or I should say as they wanted to. And here's what I say. Just like you said, I truly care. You just walk. I didn't have time for a meeting. I didn't have time, but this was so important to you that you walked with me to my next whatever. And I gave you the feedback. I don't have time to necessarily get so granular about, you know, that you're offended or that you feel bad or that you're not sure if this is the right fit for you. If it's not the right fit for you, no problem. Let's find something else. But we also need to take responsibility and accountability for where we are and how we got here. Going back to be very clear with what you're hoping for, for your measurement of success. And so the fact that you do that and that you don't make any apologies about doing it, you're like, no, Steph, this is what I did. This is what I said. I just feel like we need more leaders like that. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's leadership. And, and just because, and here, hey, you want some advice uh, for anybody listening, just because you offended somebody doesn't mean you were wrong. You know what I mean? And I can do things a little differently. I can be more cognizant of things uh, for certain people because people, uh, they want to be uh, managed and dealt with and talked to and, and acknowledged in, in different ways. And that's okay. And you should try your best to accommodate that. But it's also okay to defend your position. I agree. And I, I really, I'm very happy that you brought that up. Chris, we like to talk about our conversations turning obstacles into opportunities. What's the biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity thus far? Uh, COVID. I mean, that's a big one that I think everybody's kind of heard of by now. When, whenever COVID hit, we had an opportunity to cower and be scared and beg for help. But we decided to not do that. We decided to double down. We decided to market to people where they were. Um, and what I mean by that was everybody's at home. Everybody's disconnected. Everybody's scared. So we decided to be that beacon of light, if you will. And I leaned into celebrities. I leaned into athletes. I leaned into everything. We were doing live videos every other day, bringing people together, doing lives, giving stuff away. I think we gave away like 60 or 70 autographed items just to give shit away. I got this giant spin wheel. We're like, hey, pick a team. If you pick the right team, hey, congratulations, Bob. We're sending you a mug. We, we connected people. We leaned into our audience. We strengthened our tribe. We continued to operate as normal because we knew, and we even hired, we hired seven people over the first three months of COVID, right? Because we bet on us and, and, when we, we knew that when all the hype and all the misinformation and all the stuff settled down, people were like, oh, okay, we're, we're back to somewhat normal. Well, guess what happens? Shit turns back on. And guess who is always there? Guess, guess who is always right there with them, authentically, legitimately with them, connecting to people when they feel disconnected, helping people that were struggling financially. People like, man, I'd love to give this for my son's birthday. He's really having a time. And we'll just send you one. Don't worry about paying for it. Buy one later, right? And just really, really being an advocate of people and our tribe, we doubled again. We grew by 2.5x in 2020 versus 19. I think it's just exactly what you said. Authentic, people connector, and building relationships. This has been so great, Chris. Thank you so much for joining. If our listeners want to find out more or order mugs or find out what your products and services are, how can they find you? 
Um, yeah, so uh, dugoutmugs.com. I think we did a, a something for you guys too, didn't we? Like um, 30% off dugoutmugs.com forward slash spin it. Oh, um, great. So, yeah, so anybody wants to- Can you repeat it one more time? Yeah, dugoutmugs.com forward slash spin it. And I think it's uh, 30% off the whole site. So get that Christmas shopping done because we sell out every single year. It's not a marketing ploy. We legit sell out and then we all take about a month off because um, we got nothing left to sell. So that's super fun. And and me personally, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I don't mess around too much with social media. That's actually other advice. If you don't have enough time, which you don't, because you don't know how long you'll be here anyway, get the hell off social media. You know, you want to you really smack yourself in the face. Go on Instagram, hit those little three bars on the right, click activity, time, and watch how many hours a day you're wasting on social media. Get it out of your life, man. There's And if you don't have more important things to do, you got plenty of time to grow your business. I Absolutely. And grow yourself. If you have that grow much yourself. time, you have a lot of time to grow your business and Go yourself. Work Go work out. <laughs> right. Go something. work out. Chris, this has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate time and uh, best of luck to everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spin It. If you enjoyed the show today, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. To be featured on our weekly shout out, write us a review sharing why you love our show. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode again. If you want to learn more, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y. S-T-E-P-H Y-N-I-E-M-A-L-I-K or visit my website, stephaniemalik.com. I'll see you all next week for another episode of Spin It. Enjoy this sneak peek of what's up next. Any situation I've been through in my life, it could have easily gone the other way, right? And, and I think all of us can look at our situations and choose that. But I, I've, I've always been somebody that always tries to look at everything from an optimistic lens, even in, in the darkest despair. You know, I always feel like light is going to outshine darkness as long as we do our best to, to, to try to push, push it and, and see it from that angle. I couldn't agree more. I feel like, I feel like positivity will always outweigh negativity, especially if it's your lens and your outlook. And that's what you focus on. I could not agree more.